Hello everyone and welcome to another Five Red Lights podcast. I'm your host Aaron and let's look back, look back at the Hungarian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton claimed his eighth victory in Hungary at the weekend, followed home by Max Verstappen and teammate Valtteri Bottas. It was a good weekend for the Haas team. They got a point, while Racing Point scored a fourth place with Lance Stroll. Today, we look at the few topics coming out of the Hungarian Grand Prix. We ask if Max, Max Verstappen's anger is still getting the better of him. Should Pierre Gasly come back to the Red Bull team? We talk about Haas scoring a point, and we ask, is Lewis Hamilton simply unstoppable? right now. But just before we start this episode, I want to uh, remind you that we have uh, a website and we have some social media outlets that we are using. So we use uh, Wix site for our website, uh, fiveredlightspodcast.wixsite.com and follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, on Instagram, we are five red lights. And on Twitter, we are five underscore red underscore lights. Um, we do a few different things on our website. You can have a look on there. We're on YouTube as well at five red lights. So our videos will be on the website for you to look through as well. Um, give us a follow and uh, let's have some Formula One chat. Let's dive into this podcast though. Okay, so it wasn't the most exciting of races, um, especially compared to the season opener in uh, Austria. But then I think that was a very high excitement race, obviously. Um, let's start with our first question then. Is Max Verstappen still susceptible to his anger and his frustration taking over his natural skill? Now, his skill is undoubted, and the things he has done in the past they are magnificent his first win managing the tires on that that last stint to fend off Kimi Raikkonen without losing too much pace uh, his Red Bull debut as well absolutely outstanding and he's performed miracles in the wet he's done four-wheel drifts at Interlagos and saved the car um, so his skill is undeniable but We've seen in the past, and I think we saw some of it again at the weekend, uh, his anger and his frustration can get the better of him. And now, I'm not trying to use this as a stick to beat him with. He's 22 years old, for Christ's sake. He's, he's going to, I think he's 22 this year, yeah. Uh, so, he's still young, he's still learning, and he's being put in an environment where mistakes are going to happen. And... They're going to be potentially costly mistakes. But I don't think he's actually being helped by the car at the moment. The Red Bull has a balance issue, and we've been seeing that all the way through pre-season and through the opening three races. It likes to turn around a little bit. It likes to spin. Um, you know, it's, it's not just in high-speed corners where it might go. It's slow-speed corners. So that 
they were coming through um, well, medium speed corners predominantly, but we saw the, the low speed hairpin in Spain preseason. Both drivers, Albon and uh, Verstappen, both having spins. Uh, also at the chicane, uh, mostly through the through the final sector. Um, and then again in uh, Austria at the Red Bull Ring, we saw a couple of spins uh, for the pair of them. Verstappen on the, the Friday practice, he, he he lost it on the sausage curb on the exit of turn one. Now you look at the weekend at Hungary, and there was a spin at turn twelve for for I think it was Verstappen. Uh, Albon's been having balance issues all the way through. He's complaining about the fact that it's too oversteery, um, and Max. Uh, highlighted after qualifying that one point it can be too oversteery and then it, it it's too understeery and then it's it's a whole bunch of different things and there's not one thing that they can sort of nail down and and sort it out with um and that isn't inspiring much confidence in the drivers as you can see both cars underperformed in qualifying albon blamed a little bit of traffic but then the balance wouldn't have been right, but that car was still capable of getting into Q3. Uh, so when he qualified in four, in uh, 13th behind uh, George Russell, it, it brought a few raised eyebrows, I think, to see a Williams ahead of a, a Red Bull. Um, but I don't think the car is helping Alex to to find his his style, um, to harness his his speed. Verstappen has pretty much grown up with that car because he went into it at the age of uh, 18 I think 17 18 2016 yeah um so he's had a lot of time to develop his style with that car and, and sort of make it one which is kind of where you feel a little bit sorry for Pierre Gasly the fact that he was given you know six months and the same with Danny Kafiat he was given a year and four races so you know who, I mean, who are we to judge the way Red Bull do things they've still managed to win races doing that um, now it, it was wet at the start and that helped both cars because the, the, the Red Bull it didn't allow the deficiencies and, and the problems to be exasperated by the fact they were having to run in traffic and um, having to fight their way through. Now, before the race starts, I think this is where we get to the, the crux of the, the question that I asked about Max's uh, anger and frustration. He actually bins it into the barriers on the way to the grid. So, having looked back at it, he locks the outside left uh, wheel and slides straight into the barriers. Now, does look like it's oversteering and it's slippery and he's he's trying to find the limit but while you have to do that i think he needs to, he needs it to be a little bit more circumspect he needs to realize okay the car is a little bit unpredictable let's just sort of get to the grid sort of try and gain a small understanding of what's going on but i think maybe you just push too hard um It looked a bit pathetic, didn't it, in the end? Um, but then it does go in to something that's big, that was usually a recurring theme for Max. 
And I'll, I'll get on to how he, he rectified things on Sunday. If you look back in time, he, he had that run at the start of 2018 where he had some sort of mistake every race weekend that would cost him. So the ones that I can highlight, uh, China, where he ran off the road trying to overtake Hamilton on the outside of the uh, fast 6-7 chicane, uh, and then he ended up running into Bethel, spearing into the side of him, and they both spun. Uh, the mistake in uh, Monaco, which cost him essentially a race win that weekend because Red Bull had the fastest car and it allowed Ricardo to qualify at the front and Max was stuck at the back. You look back at uh, last year's Mexican Grand Prix, he takes a brilliant pole position and Bottas has crashed. Max is still on provisional pole, but he goes through and he sets a faster lap time. And as a result, actually loses the pole position, which you could say maybe they should have just deleted that time. But then the rules are the rules. And Hamilton has fallen foul of that already this season. Take that into the Sunday. And he has a very messy race. Um, a little bit of a slip and slide with uh, Hamilton at the start, running off the track, trying to fight everybody, which, you know, you'd expect. but. I think he was going slightly overboard on that one. And then he ends up uh, diving down the inside of Bottas and collecting a puncture. And it pretty much ruined his race. Um, flip that around. And Hungary, he's binned it on the way to the grid. His mechanics perform a minor miracle to change the track rods and the steering arms uh, that were damaged. And they get the, the wheel on with 25 seconds remaining. Um, and because it's wet, it plays into his, his skill set. He's got such great feel and he makes an excellent start. Gets up to P3 and he's behind Stroll. Uh, Stroll pits and Verstappen makes a good call to go one lap longer. Clear air, gets the place in P2. And stays there, holding off Bottas right at the end. I think his disappointment and his frustration is coming because he, he was expecting to go into this season being able to challenge Mercedes, um, especially this weekend. So Frank that favoured Red Bull historically. Um, and I think it's understandable that you, you would get a bit frustrated by that. But he needs to be not sniping at, at George Russell, not getting frustrated over the radio. He needs to just settle down. And I know it's hard. He's young. But he's been he's been in Formula 1 a lot longer than most people uh, have been on that grid. And you'd expect a little bit more composure from him. Um, I know everyone's bound to the, the odd fluster and, and uh, angry moment. I mean, even Lewis Hamilton has has had his, his share of them and Bottas, you know, the, the fins are fairly unflappable. So it's to be expected from a feisty and fiery character like Max. But I think just he needs to, I'm not saying he's overdoing it, he needs, needs to just keep that lid on and really push the, the, the car along to, to make sure that there's nothing, that, no, there's no stone unturned, that they make sure they get that car correct um, to challenge Mercedes because it's these these rules tied in for next year, 
they can't get on top of it. They're going to be overtaken by a racing point, perhaps. And Mercedes, we know what they're capable of. They're going to run away at the front. And they're already doing it. I think that's the most frustrating thing for him, as you can see that Mercedes were taking this massive step. The Red Bull just simply haven't gone with them. Sticking with Red Bull then for our next point, uh, what should Red Bull do about Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly? Now, they've already acted about 12 months ago on this because Gasly was underperforming and Albon was doing a solid job with the Toro Rosso squad and they'd already given Fiat his chance. They, they give Albon the chance for the last nine races last year. He did a great job. did a very, very good job. His gap to Verstappen was pretty similar to Gasly in qualifying. But during the races, he performed much more admirably, uh, getting on top of the car. And it, it worked much better for Red Bull. They, they scored a lot of points in the second half of last season. Now, going back to the fact that the, the RB16 is a tricky car to drive, Verstappen is able to mould his driving style slightly better around it. Albon is still fighting it a bit more. He's really struggling at the moment. He could have won the Austrian Grand Prix, but that was more circumstances and safety cars playing into his hands and rather cruelly it was taken away from him uh, through the contact with Hamilton he didn't finish that race he might not have gone on to finish the race even if he got past Hamilton we'll, we'll never know um, but Pierre is doing a really good job this season with the Alpha Tauri squad which is the same team as Toro Rosso last year of course so put it into perspective Albon struggling with the Red Bull at the moment, qualifies 13th for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Gasly, having missed all of practice one with a, a power unit sensor issue, struggles through qualifying with the same issue, and actually manages to get into Q3. So he starts 10th on the grid. He did a brilliant job, and he, he did an excellent drive in Austria to pick up um, I think it was seventh place if I remember correctly he's got six points in the championship so seventh place would give you six points uh, obviously didn't have such a great sharing in Styria with the the hard compound tires not quite working out for him but then Hungary looks a lot better he qualified well having struggled with with the power unit issues um, unfortunately he didn't finish because the gearbox gave out and he, he retired in a big cloud of smoke in the pit lane um, but then you do, you do then start to ask the question what are Red Bull going to do now if you look at how Red Bull were talking about Gasly last year and how they're talking about Albon this year last year with Gasly they were saying Pierre needs to work a bit harder on himself, look a bit more inward, get on top of the car, needs to do this, needs to do that. Whereas with Albon, they're going, we don't know what you're talking about. Alex is doing a great job. Now, I think the issue arises because they, they've looked at Gasly and while Albon is still struggling, they can see what Albon is delivering, which is what Gasly wasn't delivering, uh, especially last year. So, Gasly would get stuck in the, the, the DRS trains, he'd get stuck behind traffic, he just wouldn't be able to make any headway and get through. Whereas Albon, much more decisive on the brakes, decisive with his overtaking, 
And we even saw that on Sunday. He was behind Charles Leclerc, spent a few laps there, looked like he's going to get stuck. He's just not going to be able to quite pass the Ferrari, even though the Ferrari's dragging a straight line, the straight main straight with DRS at Hungary just isn't quite long enough for him. Um, and just as I was thinking that, he dives down the inside, gets through, and he gets through on uh, Grosjean a little bit later on, uh, a little bit of a love tap on the front wing for good measure. Now, should Red Bull be switching their drivers again? Um, no, is the answer in my opinion, because Albon, as much as he struggled in qualifying, you could see that he made progress through the race. He ended up coming through to finish fifth. So would Gasly have made that, that progress? Would he have been able to pull off that overtake on Leclerc? Would he have been able to get past Grosjean? Would he have then accelerated through the clear air um, to make his way up to P5? Based on the evidence from last year, no. His best performance was when it was at Sil when we were at Silverstone and he was challenging with the Ferraris, but he was still a fair bit back from uh, Max at the time. And he was closer because of the safety cars bunching everybody up. But Albon is doing, I wouldn't say a great job at the moment because he's struggling so much with the car, but then you have to caveat that with Verstappen's issues. He's not doing a bad enough job to warrant being replaced. And while I think Red Bull can be a little bit too jumpy on changing drivers, generally they've got it right. When they've gone and wielded their axe halfway through the season, they tend to get it right. They're a little bit like Chelsea uh, in the Premier League, hiring, firing managers willy-nilly. And um, it seems to work for them. However, when you look back at the the forced changes that they've had to make, so when Vettel left and Ricardo leaving allowed Kafiat and Gasly respectively to be promoted, neither of those have worked out. They've both been gone uh, just after a year or within a year. So, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those strange, strange things. But give Albon more time. It's a compressed season. It's a tricky car to work with. I think he'll come good once they sort that car out and get the balance fixed up. And like George Russell said, uh, Albon is being made to look an idiot, and he's not. He's no mug behind the wheel. None of them are. So Albon just needs a few more races. I think once they get on top of that car, uh, you'll see Albon flourish a little bit more. And who knows, he may be back in town for that win. Uh, although it's going to be hard to see anyone stopping Mercedes right now. All right, so let's move our attention away from Red Bull. And next we're going to talk about Haas and we're going to talk about Charles Leclerc as well. They had uh, differing fortunes, to put it mildly. So let's, let's start with Haas. Now, their afternoon started way down the pack, uh, towards the back of the grid. And they brought both their boys in, Grosjean and Magnussen, for slicks at the end of the formation lap, uh, even though the track was still wet. Everyone else was going on the inters. So they roll the dice, they gamble. What have they got to lose? They're, they're starting at the back. They'll, if it goes wrong, they'll just end up spinning off or uh, wherever they started. So 
they ask their drivers to come in. And this has repercussions later on in the race, and we'll get to those in a moment. Now, Magnussen and Grosjean come out of the pits, and once they get their tyres up to temperature, they're setting pretty good sector times. It's not the fastest, uh, because the track is still on that tipping point of inters can be faster in some areas, but slicks are better in some others. Um, but once everyone else piles into the pits, the two arse boys are running third and fourth. And it was really nice to see that they get a little bit of a, uh, a positive light. And they're getting, not that they get things wrong all the time, but they're getting something right. And then they're getting some sort of reward for it. Now, they've become a little bit of a, a cult, uh, a cult followed team, especially with Gunther Steiner, uh, for their drive to survive antics and <laughs> it's quite interesting to see behind the scenes there especially with Gunther so it was good to see them getting some on-track exposure for the right reasons and they ended up coming in ninth place with um, Magnuson while Grosjean did drop back a bit he, he, he did pick up some damage and he, he said it made a difference but really how much difference it did make was arguable I'd, I'd suggest um but that they actually lost half of their points for magnuson because of this interesting penalization after the race so when they called their drivers in they contravened the uh directive stating that drivers must drive the car alone and unaided now this is confusing and it, it, it's even more confusing because Mercedes have come out and said that Lewis Hamilton was concerned about the car stalling. It sounded like it was going to stall the engine when he was sitting on pole position waiting for everyone to line up. Now on the telemetry, they, the Mercedes team could see what was happening and they knew everything was just going to be fine. Um, there was no issue at all, but they had to essentially let Lewis sweat and panic about his start um, when the lights went out and then they, they couldn't because they couldn't say anything to him it, it would have got him a penalty now I find this very confusing because during the race teams are always discussing strategy and when they want to pit um, how far they want to go Things like that. And you look back at the, uh, the the two laps that Lando Norris did at the end of the steering and Grand Prix, and his engineer Will Joseph is on the radio telling him when to use the overtake button, how long to press it for, which mode to go into. Um, the now famous scenario seven. So, where does that not become alone and unaided? versus telling your drivers to pit for dry tyres before the race starts to gain a little bit of a tactical advantage. It does leave me scratching my head. And I, essentially, you're not allowed to tell them to pit before the start. They have to make that choice on their own, which, fine. You know, that that that's that's okay. But then... It's still a team sport. Just just baffles me a little bit, you know. 
you can't tell them before the start, but you can tell them to pit during the race. It, it doesn't make any sense. You know, go figure. You know, I might be completely wrong here, but I just feel it, it it's a bit silly. Um, it takes away some of that excitement. You know, oh, someone's taking a gamble, but, you know, they're going to get a penalty for it. Although none of us really realised that at the time. So we all thought, oh, wow, two Haas guys there, they're both coming in. This could be brilliant for them, or it could be a disaster. So, you know, poor Danny Kafir, he could have been in that in that situation as well. Instead, he was uh, struggling down in the midfield. He asked to come in, and the, the team just sort of ignored him. So, you know, it's a little bit disappointing. And talking of disappointing, Charles Leclerc. So this whole tyre situation is so important in Formula 1, and the choice of tyres and the timing of it is critical. The Haas guys got it right, even though they, they did suffer a penalty afterwards, but it did only cost them one position each. Ten-second penalty, you know, it's like a slap on the wrist. Now, Leclerc, when they came in for the uh, slicks on lap three, Ferrari went for the softs. I think they were expecting more rain. Uh, and Charles follows Ferrari's call on this. We're not sure. I didn't hear anything if he challenged it or just went, yep, that's fine. So he goes from inters to soft slicks. And Bottas pits at the same time, having made a bit of a, a rubbish start. Almost jumped it, to be fair. Uh, and he goes on to the mediums. So you think, hmm, wet conditions, flying track, you need lots of grip, soft tyres, surely the one. Not around the Hungara ring. The, the, the long, medium speed corners are so punishing. Um, the tyres need managing. And even the mediums would, were struggling. The hard tyres really were the ones to be on. But on a, a damp and drying track, they just would not generate the heat. So the mediums were the better ones. Flip the coin a Ferrari to uh, Sebastian Vettel and they call him in and they're saying box for softs, box for softs and or box, box for slicks and Vettel goes for mediums yeah and uh, then they go yeah okay we'll go for mediums so Vettel obviously reading the situation and understanding that around Hungary the front left is going to grain up and really causes some problems and we saw it in the f2 races um because they, they went from wet to dry uh, in both their races that even the mediums or whatever tire they started on it grained up and they had to pit and they had to change their strategy and it was essentially the one who could go the longest would come out on top so robert schwartzman went long on the mediums in the in the feature race changed to the softs overtook three or four cars and won the race. Luca Giotto in the uh, sprint race just stayed out the entire 24 laps and he managed his tyres really well um, and held off Callum Eilat who had pitted and won by four tenths of a second. So that that knowledge and that um, savviness I think and that experience really paid dividends for, for Vettel and also for Luca Giotto who's been in uh, F2 for several years. So understanding your your track and how that is going to affect the tyres as well as the conditions 
is massively important. And that is a big tick in the box for Sebastian Vettel to join uh, Aston Martin. Because they're going to need a guy like that if they really want to challenge at the front of the grid. They were close this weekend and they, they could have done probably a touch better than fourth place with uh, Lance Stroll. Um, but that, that that's a discussion for another day. Um, so well done to Sebastian Vettel. He outfoxed his his teammate Leclerc there on the strategy. And Charles, he went for the softs and then he switched to the hards and just, just had no pace for the rest of the race and uh, was eventually lapped, finishing 11th. I know the Ferrari's not great this season, but Vettel proved that it could finish solidly, solidly in the top 10. Um, sixth and seventh would have been, you know, not anything to write home about for 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 the folks at Maranello, but points at the end of the day, isn't it? It was something. Let's look at our race winner now, uh, Lewis Hamilton. He only won by 8.7 seconds, but that didn't really do his performance justice. Um, he pitted for the soft tyres with four laps to go, I think, and to, to set the fastest lap and get that bonus point. So 26 points scored, lead of the championship now in his hands uh, after Bottas pretty much fluffed the start. But I think even if he'd finished second, Hamilton would have um, edged ahead, possibly. Um, Although he might not have gone for the fastest lap, so there might not have been such a big swing and points. But let's ask the question, is he just unstoppable right now, Lewis Hamilton? At one point, he was 27 seconds clear of everybody. Um, so Verstappen was in second, and he was just destroying everyone. Obviously, Bottas was stuck in a bit of traffic. So again, had Bottas got away uh, properly at the start, it might have been a closer fought battle for the win. But Hamilton has not won eight times around the Hungaroring ring for no reason. He is very, very strong there. And Bottas, generally speaking, has been a it's been one of his weaker tracks. So is Lewis just unstoppable right now? Without saying that he is, he, he really, really might be, because he's just on top of everything. He he learned from his mistakes in Austria. But every now and again, even for a world champion, you just need one of those scruffy weekends where things don't quite go your way, I think, to just refocus the mind, reapply all of your efforts, because it's easy to, to be pushing, 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 and then that, that little bit of fatigue and tiredness just drains a little bit away and you come off the gas a little bit, your efforts not saying that Hamilton's complacent or any of any of the world champions that uh, have needed a, a, a weekend like that in Austria to sort of refocus no one's complacent like that it's just simply it readjusts the focus it goes right okay I need to reset and and get back onto the things that that are going to serve me well and Lewis did that he worked very hard with his engineers in the week following the Austrian Grand Prix. And look how he came back with a vengeance in the Styrian Grand Prix. And then again in Hungary, on pole position for the second week in a row, ahead of his teammate, destroys everyone in the race. You know, he 
He was untouchable. Throughout the race, no one could get close to his pace. And his fastest lap was ridiculous. It was a 116, and no one else could get anywhere close to that. So he, he's on top form at the moment. And when he does have a bad weekend, he just uses that, as he, he would describe it, as negative energy to increase his positive energy and come back working harder, looking for things that he can do better, always looking at himself, trying to improve his driving style, trying to learn something new. Um, and ironically, I think he has Nico Rosberg to thank for this. Um, Nico, you have created a monster because... 2014, 2015, Lewis Hamilton was insanely quick. 2016, he had those reliability issues, but he was still insanely fast, and he only missed out on the title by five points, despite numerous engine problems and, and crashing into Rosberg in Spain. So many lost points that year for, for Hamilton. 2017 comes, and he's, he's learned from his time with Rosberg. Rosberg, by this point, has obviously retired. Bottas is in the team, and it's a much more harmonious atmosphere. And when the going got tough with, with Vettel, Hamilton was able to dig deep, stay calm, and rise above that, that lava pit of emotion and, and competitiveness to find the cool air. And, you know, you, you see you know, the phrase, can't see the, the wood for the trees. You know, he was able to rise above the parapet and find his way in Vettel in 2017. They, they ran into issues with the uh, car reliability Ferrari. But 2018, Hamilton had to do it again a little bit more, muster a bit more because the Ferrari was much better. And it was Vettel making the mistakes. It was Ferrari blundering. It was Hamilton running away with the title in the end. And having seen, having done that twice, to then not have really much competition last year, it was inevitable that Lewis was going to walk away with the title at the end of the year. So he's just constantly was reevaluating himself on a maybe a daily basis. You know, and he's so determined to maybe not just to break records, but just to be winning, just to be the best. And it, he's not said about his desire to break the records of Schumacher are, you know, what, what really matters to him. He just loves winning. He loves being fast. 90 pole positions now, 86 victories. It's just mind-blowing. We never thought that Schumacher's records could be touched. And here they are, less than 20 years later, literally about to be smashed apart, blown out of the water. Hamilton could score 100 pole positions quite easily. And there's every chance he could score um, 100 wins as well. I mean, if Mercedes have got this much of a margin next year as well, in a full 2021 calendar, how many races could he win from now to, to the end of 2021? It's quite conceivable we could win 14. So... We're looking, we're looking at a driver on top of his game who's constantly improving. And he's almost defying age because 35 comes and you see a lot of other drivers who've gone 
a little bit on the wane. Um, Schumacher uh, won his last World Championship at the age of 34. Um, I believe, yeah, 34, because he... Yeah, I think he's... Uh, maybe 50, 50, 51 now. Uh, yeah, so... Schumacher was into his mid-30s when he was last winning a World Championship, and then we saw um, his decline at Mercedes as well. And other drivers too, they get to the age of about 33, 34, and things just sort of dribble away. But Hamilton is the opposite. He's reached the age of 33, 34, 35, and he's just, just increasing his abilities. Bottas has got a huge task to stop him. You know, I, d I don't envy Valtteri Bottas at all in that. You know, he, he said he doesn't, doesn't want to resort to the, the dark tactics that uh, Rosberg had to employ to, to defeat Hamilton. That's not his style. He wants to beat him fair and square on the track. But, you know, then he might, he might be able to turn around and say, look, I gave him my best shot. And he was just unbelievably good at that time. You know, you can you can compare him to Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic as tennis players. As they get older, they just seem to get better, especially Federer. You know, sometimes he's so good it's annoying because he just doesn't miss. And it, Hamilton is a bit like that. He's just not missing any of his shots right now. And he's coming away with all the points, all the plaudits, all the world championships, and quite soon, probably all the records. So our final point of this podcast, let's just spare a thought for all the mechanics in the pit lane, not just the Formula 1 mechanics, but the F2 and F3 guys and uh, the Porsche Super Cup fellas too, and, and ladies. So they've been working incredibly hard, probably in the garage uh, at the factories uh, before they all went to Austria and to, then on to Budapest, getting the car ready and then making sure it's all kitted out and fitted ready to be uh, taken off to the racetracks. And then they had to go in there to construct the garages, get the car ready, work on the cars. It's a whole, just one Grand Prix weekend is a lot to deal with. And this is why they, was, they were talking about shortening, shortening the weekends to two days, which makes sense because then these mechanics are on the road, for, just in a normal year, they're on the road for a long, long time. And a lot of them will have families and friends at home that, you know, they need their downtime too. But a triple header, they had one in 2018 and they said never, ever again. And now we've ended up with three of them just through circumstance. Um, but spare a thought for the mechanics. Hopefully the drivers will be buying them a very nice dinner uh, every so often to thank them for their efforts. So we need to give them a round of applause and uh, just say well done because they've got through th the first three weeks it's been wet, there's been all sorts of things going on, these COVID tests and the bubbles and, you know, just it can't be making life any easier for them at all. So well done to the mechanics, round of applause for them. Um, and hopefully they're having a very well-earned rest 
um, at home at the moment and uh, a little bit of a chance to recharge. Okay, so that is the checker flag for the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, review podcast. So thanks for listening. I hope you found it interesting and give us a follow on the uh, social media links that we mentioned at the start of the, the podcast uh, and discuss things with us. If if you think we're wrong, if you think we're right, if you agree, if you disagree, that's fine. We'll have uh, some fun, friendly conversation uh, over the internet and you know we'll learn a few bits about Formula One together and we'll have a good time doing it. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Bye.